0: This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode one hundred and sixty-six. I am James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas M. Stat Jr. And in this this episode, we are going to take on uh, the giant of social media. Facebook. And we're going to explain to you guys why we feel it is highly, highly, highly overrated. And this comes from Thomas. He's he's the one that came up with this. So he's really going to take the lead on this entire episode. So Thomas, to get us into it, give us a little background on how you first discovered Facebook and really how it's fundamentally changed.
1: Yeah. So I've been with Facebook since the beginning. When I joined Facebook, it was only for college students. Wow. That is early days. Yeah. And I've been advertising and marketing on Facebook uh, since that time. So my first Facebook ads that I bought were not called Facebook ads at the time. They were called campus flyers to give you an idea of just how long ago this was. Uh, since then, I ran one of the first um, statewide political campaigns that used Facebook uh, we, aggressively. We kind of helped develop the template for Facebook marketing back in 2010. And I've worked for marketing uh, companies that have done Facebook promotions. And over the course of this, I've done tens of thousands of dollars of Facebook ads uh, for a bunch of different organizations and I've done dozens, maybe over a hundred hours of Facebook live in one capacity or another. And I've taught at conferences about how Facebook's Ed drink algorithm works. So when I'm talking about Facebook, I'm talking about Facebook from somebody who knows Facebook. So I want you to hear that. You've actually done it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is not somebody from the outside throwing stones. This is somebody who understands Facebook and has come to believe that the current version of Facebook is highly highly overrated for authors. And I have reasons. I have reasons why it's over overrated. Uh seven reasons as a no eight. Reasons. I have a lot of reasons. <laughs> so the the first reason and this is a fundamental problem of Facebook that goes back to the very beginning. Uh, is this concept of digital sharecropping. So if you're not familiar with the term sharecropping, it's a technique uh, that wealthy landlords use where they allow a poor person to farm uh, their field in exchange for a share of the crop. And the problem with sharecropping is that the poor farmer, who's the one doing all the work and who, quote unquote, has the land, doesn't own the land. So they can be kicked off at any time uh, from their, quote unquote, own farm, since they technically don't own it. And the other more fundamental problem is that the economic advantages of owning the land mostly go to the landlord, whereas the risks of a crop failure or something like that typically go to the tenant. And sharecropping's technique goes back millennia. It wasn't just used in the South in America. It was also used... Uh, In ancient Egypt and all the times between. And there's a reason why in America we no longer have peasant farmers because that is not how you have a wealthy population. And yet there is this new digital land where we are creating a bunch of peasant farmers. There's nothing new under the sun. You don't own Facebook. You share crop on Facebook's digital land. (laughs) Facebook gets (laughs) nearly all of the economic advantages of your activity. And if you find something that does advantage you, um, they'll adjust their algorithm to stop you typically. So Facebook makes hundreds of millions of dollars. They're worth hundreds of billions of dollars as a company. And they are the ones who are profiting from Facebook. And they're the ones who want to profit from Facebook.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're saying, are, are you saying, are you, are you saying that my Mark Zuckerberg is not out for my highest good in this thing? <laughs> and if you, you actually believe that, you need to go back and watch a movie that came out. What? Eight years ago, the social network, it's a pretty interesting insight into the start of this whole thing and just the mentality of the company. It is. It is.
1: It's it's very fascinating. And uh, now there's nothing wrong with making money, but you have to realize that Facebook makes money on you. Uh, So you are the product. You're not the customer. The customer are the people who pay for Facebook ads. It, it, it's you know, If you're a chicken in a chicken coop laying eggs, the food is free and the shelter is free. There's a lot of free things, but ultimately your eggs are being taken away and somebody else is eating them. And that's the same thing with Facebook. And to give you an idea of these algorithm changes, I remember back when I was in college, Facebook groups were transcendent. And then when the groups got too powerful, Facebook destroyed those groups in favor of this new thing that they invented called pages. And now pages have been deoptimized in favor of groups, but not the old groups back from my college days. No, only the new groups, the legacy groups have all been uh, disbanded one way or another. And so the cycle continues. And so a lot of people are like, oh, well, that old thing doesn't work, but the new thing works currently. And you spend all this time and this money building this new field that's on somebody else's land that they own, and then they take it away. So that's the first reason. That doesn't mean you should avoid Facebook, but it's a bad place to build a platform. If you build a house on on land that you're sharecropping, you don't own the house that you built with your own hands. Somebody else owns that house. And that is very scary and not very shrewd if you're wanting to Um, build something that lasts if you're wanting to build a legacy brand.
0: Yeah. And so we're clear. I'm not down on Facebook. I, I, I hope you're not thinking Thomas Hunter slamming Facebook. There are some really good things about Facebook and some ways authors can use. And we are going to talk about that. But overall, just know that Facebook is not in it for you. Um, they are in it for themselves. And that's okay. They are, they are in a, a business. They are profit for profit business and they want to make money. But this mentality of, Oh, wow, I'm going to go to Facebook and I'm going to build this up. And this is going to be a great place for me to advertise my books, that's what we're driving at saying that is just not a wise business or career decision.
1: And that's not what Facebook is. And that's what leads us to reason number two, why Facebook is overrated. And that is state of mind. So Facebook has become a party where, so think of it as like a real life party where people are talking about politics and they're showing off photos of their grandchildren. And somebody trying to sell something at that party is a little – or sell something on Facebook is a little bit like somebody going to a party where everyone's talking about politics and they're showing photos of their grandkids and trying to sell Amway. It's like, (laughs) hey, that's not what this party is. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to sell Amway. And if you were to throw your own party, which let's say Tupperware – you want to sell Tupperware and you're having a special Tupperware party and people are coming over specifically to learn about Tupperware, suddenly the state of mind of those exact same people, the people who didn't want to hear your message at the party where they're talking politics, suddenly now they're like, oh yeah, I'd love to hear about your Tupperware. And you show off the Tupperware and you sell lots of Tupperware. And this is really key when it comes to building your platform. When you build your platform on Facebook, it's like going to somebody else's party. Whereas you build the platform on your own website, you're throwing your Own party, and the mindset is totally different. And it is way easier to actually sell books if you're getting people in the right state of mind. Uh, The third reason why Facebook is overrated is something called Edgerank. This is the name of Facebook's algorithm. And I've explained in detail in previous episodes how Edgerank works. We'll have a link to it in episode one uh, in the show notes. It's episode 123. Um, and then I also have a blog post with a video that breaks down how edge Rank works. But when you post something on Facebook, not everyone sees it. And it used to be most people would see it. But now if you post something on Facebook that's not on Facebook, let's say a book, right? You'll say, hey, buy my book. Uh, that will be hidden from about 96% of followers, give or take, based off of some of your edge Rank factors, which again, watch the video to find out what some of those are. But it's not give or take a whole lot. All right, so 96% of people don't see it, which means only 4% of people do. And of those 4%, if 1% go on to buy your book, which isn't an unrealistic uh, conversion rate, we're looking at, if you have a 1,000 fans, only 4% see the post, that's 40 people. 1% of 40 people is 0. 0.4 people, which rounds down to zero people <laughs> <laughs> buying your book through Facebook. Uh, now, it doesn't mean you're going to have zero book sales total. You'll find other ways outside of Facebook to sell your book, but... If you're expecting to be able to post on Facebook and that to result in fans, you need, with these numbers, which are based off of current uh, numbers that I'm seeing, uh, about 2,500 fans on Facebook per book sold. Uh, So if you have 10,000 fans, congratulations. You can expect to sell about four books. Uh, Now... Some authors work really hard to improve their edge rank score. They're posting lots of interesting content. They have lots of likes and uh, high engagement from their fans, and they may be able to boost that. But I have never seen an author who's able to sell more than about one book per thousand fans uh, through Facebook specifically. And often, the people who are buy- who are fans, they're not buying through Facebook or through a link on Facebook. They're buying because they got an email. They got touched somewhere else um, some other way, often multiple times, some other way else. And the Facebook engagement did not tip the balance one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that, Thomas, this is interesting to me and I'll just use a a real life example because I don't, I'm not that active on Facebook, but I am on my own pages, actually my page and my profile, but I'm very active other places. And and we're going to talk about that and why it's important to be active in those other places, but specifically to me. So I win the Christie award uh, um, a few weeks ago and I post that both on my profile and on my page. And what's fascinating to me is that I have, I don't know, 6,000, 6,500 people on my Facebook page, but I only have like 1,500, maybe 2,000 people on my profile. I had way more engagement on my profile than I did on my page, but I did get lots of suggestions from Facebook saying, hey, you can boost this post, you can boost this post, you can boost this post. So talk to that a little bit. Is that my imagination or, or is that going on where Facebook's going, hey, let's get money out of the page? That's right so you now have to
1: pay money to talk to your fans that that is the billion hundred billion dollar kind of trick that Facebook played so in the 2000s you spent money to get fans you could talk to for free and I helped lots of clients spend lots of money on Facebook ads to get fans that they were then able to talk to for free and we're like man this is great uh, this is a really great way to connect with our constituents or, or our readers and then Facebook after you already paid to get the fans, uh, they're like, oh, by the way, now you need to fit pay to talk to them. And anytime you want your post to appear to your fans, you have to pay to boost the post. Although you never want to boost the post. Professional marketers never push that button. That That is the print money for Facebook button in it. It's just wasted. Basically, you're better off just burning the paper bills in front of you than pushing boost post. <laughs> Let me give you more of my crop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the reality is the professional advertisers use something called the power editor for their advertising. And we don't have time to go into that here uh, in this episode. But just realize that if you are going to do Facebook advertising, everyone recommends the power editor. I don't know a single marketing guru who recommends the boost post um, button. And um, But again, with your example, Jim, you probably posted a photo that you uploaded to Facebook, right? And that is native content on Facebook. That's going to do better on EdRank. It's going to be seen by more people. If you had tried to say, hey, here's a link to that book on Amazon, suddenly even your own friends wouldn't have seen the post. So you can have engagement until it's commercially profitable for you. And as soon as there's any kind of benefit for you financially financially, Boom, it disappears. and they completely hide it unless Facebook gets a piece of the action. And that's what a lot of authors don't realize, especially beginning authors. They're like, oh, I'm going to build my platform and I have lots of fans and I'll be able to convince publishers like, look, I have 2000 fans. I have 3000 fans on Facebook and I'm getting this great engagement. And as an agent, I'm looking at that and I'm like, OK, that's one book you're selling. And maybe three or four books you're selling. That's Those are not numbers that are going to be impressive to a publisher.
0: And that's not the worst case scenario, Thomas. The worst case scenario is I was talking to a client the other day and he was uh, actively promoting his book with links. And you know where this is going. Suddenly, Facebook says, okay, you're done. And they deleted his page in its entirety. He emailed. The response was, well, we'll look into it. He emailed again. Yep, Sorry. Why did you take it down? We just did. Is there any chance to appeal this? Nope, you're done. And so they essentially did what you're talking about, said, yeah, we're, we're taking away that part of the field. You don't you don't get to crop, uh, you don't get to harvest that and farm that any longer. Well, why not? Yeah, we don't have to tell you why. And so literally all this work he did building up a lot of fans on his Facebook page disappeared overnight.
1: And it's just not a good place. It's, it's like building your house on the sand. Uh, and it's, and worse, it's sand you don't even own. <laughs> so it's, it's not a good place to build your platform. And I don't, not even your sand. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even your sand. Um, but that's not even, we're, we're not even halfway through the reason. So the fourth reason why Facebook is overrated is because of this business concept called opportunity cost. And this is how expensive Facebook is in terms of your time and your money, but mostly your time. Uh, so what is opportunity cost? Our opportunity cost is when you're trying to make a decision in business and you're trying to decide, should we spend this money in this time to do this thing? You ask the question, what's the next best alternative? What are we giving up to do the thing that we're doing? So if we are going to build a Barnes & Noble in Dallas, Texas, it means we're not building a Barnes & Noble somewhere else. What's the best other city that we could build a Barnes & Noble? And you compare and contrast to see if building it in Dallas is really the right play. So if you're spending time on Facebook, that means you're not spending that time somewhere else during that time. So if you're... A lot of authors spend about an hour a day on Facebook between their phone and their computer. A lot of them don't realize they're spending that much time, but you can actually find out. If you go to your phone, if you have an iPhone, your iPhone tracks how much time you spend on Facebook per day, and you can look it up. And then you can do the same uh, with a software we recommend, RescueTime, on your uh, computer. Uh, If you're spending an hour a day on Facebook... That is about 300 hours a year, assuming you take Sundays and holidays off. Do you know what 300, 300 hours a year is enough time to do? Write an entire additional book. <laughs> that is a huge opportunity cost where suddenly by spending an hour on Facebook, which isn't helping you sp- uh, sell books because the changes to the algorithm we've already talked about, it has cost you an entire book that now doesn't exist in the world because you spent that time posting images and clever things on Facebook. That is a huge cost. But that may not be the highest cost for you, uh, right? Because opportunity cost is the next best alternative. So maybe the next best alternative for you isn't writing additional book, maybe doing something else like speaking. Right, Six hours a week is enough time for three Toastmasters meetings. You become really good at speaking if you spent a year of time you would have spent on Facebook at Toastmasters instead. Man, now you've got something. (laughs) Or maybe you've started a YouTube channel or you tell people about your your book one-on-one. Never underestimate the power of talking to people one-on-one in real life about your book. That actually can sell a lot of copies.
0: Yeah, it's surprising. I've talked about this before on the podcast, Thomas, but I started something years ago where whenever I flew, I had this habit. People would say, when you walk up and you're checking your bags, how are you today? That's the common greeting. And I would always say, and I've done this for about 10 years now, I always say, well, I'm actually doing fantastic. Well, why is that? Well, you know, my 10th my novel is coming out. That was the dream when I was a kid to become a novelist. And my 10th one's coming out. Really? And people are fascinated by that. So I hand out a card. And I also do the same thing when I fly on airplanes. I just talk to the people sitting next to me. And you would not believe the number of people who have purchased my books and then written back to me and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I met you. Thank you so much. So I can tell you from personal experience, it works. People purchase books by simply saying, hey, this is who I am. That's right.
1: Or when you have a book coming out, you know, just emailing somebody one-on-one, a personal email, you catch up and you ask them to buy your book, that's going to sell more copies than Facebook. You're not going to enjoy doing it necessarily, but it's, it actually works and it works in measurable ways. Uh, other activities could improve you know, starting a podcast, 300 hours a year or 100 hours a year is enough to start your very own podcast, which is one of the hottest, fastest growing things in book marketing right now. Or blogging. Now, the nice thing about blogging is that you can have your cake and eat it too. Because if your blog posts are good, if they're um, remarkable, your readers of your blog will share your blog to their friends on Facebook, uh, which is the real power of social media theoretically, is that it's not uh, you talking about you on social media, it's other people talking about you on social media. And a blog gives other people the opportunity to do that. Again, with Edgerank, it's hard uh, to get traffic that way. But the, the real value is not somebody sharing your blog like publicly on Facebook on their page. The real value is somebody using Facebook Messenger or iMessage to send a link to your blog to a specific friend who will for sure read it. And how often has somebody texted you a link to a blog post? My wife and I are texting each other blog posts or interesting articles we find online all the time. And a lot of people do that. And that is where things are moving more the Snapchat model, less than the uh, Facebook model or writing more books. This needs to be said again. It's so important. Often for fiction, especially uh, the most powerful way to market your book is to write another book. And uh, you're costing yourself a book a year by spending on time on Facebook. So if you deleted your account, completely and just spent time writing books. Instead, you would be better off.
0: Yeah. If you look back five years, right? Five years. If you had been off Facebook for five years, you'd have four more books in your backlist, in your library to be able to promote and do things with. So good point, Thomas.
1: And five years ago, Facebook was working better than it works now, but still five years ago, you'd probably rather have that book in your library, (laughs) even back when Facebook did work. Uh, So it's not that Facebook has never worked. We'll talk more about this in a second, but it just doesn't work right now. And I don't see, it ever working again without you spending money. All right. Fifth reason why Facebook is overrated. You, th- you thought we were done? We're not even <laughs> f- close to being done. <laughs> so reason number five is fake news machines. So because people spend so much time on Facebook, there are very wealthy, very powerful organizations that create whole engines for taking advantage of of edge rank, which is Facebook's algorithm. This happens with all algorithms. There's big wealthy companies trying to cheat Google's search engine. There's big wealthy companies trying to beat Facebook's edge rank and it's an arms race. So Google and Facebook make changes to the algorithm. And these companies make changes and they spend millions of dollars doing research and experiments and reverse engineering the algorithm. And they have uh, often hundreds of uh, people writing content and doing experiments and tests and, um, You know, what we saw with Cambridge Analytica of like the data mining, that's, I will tell you, as somebody who's in that world, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Almost everyone was doing it. Those senators that were questioning Zuckerberg. I, like half of them were, had their campaigns were doing the exact things that Cambridge Analytica uh, is accused of doing. And that's just the half I know about. Maybe they were all doing it. I don't know if the senators knew that their campaigns were doing that. And based off the questions the senators were asking, I don't think the senators really understood any of that stuff. But they are they hired smart people around them who were doing that. And there's basically this like war being waged uh, for attention on Facebook by organizations with hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, I'm not just talking political organizations. I'm also talking about countries and governments and industries who are spending massive amounts of money for influence and um, connection on Facebook. And when you show up with an author, as an author who's not wanting to spend any money or maybe, you know, the idea of spending $5,000 seems like a fortune to you when it's a rounding error for these companies, it's like trying to go to a skyscraper and push it over. Like by pushing on it, you'll get the skyscraper <laughs> to fall over. And it's like, it's not going to happen, right? This is. And another way to think of it is, where do you want to build your house? Do you want to build your house in a quiet, peaceful place? Or do you want to build your house in the middle of a battlefield? Building a platform in the middle of a battlefield between mighty titans is not a good place to build a platform. It is just not. And I will say some of the things that Facebook has done to fight fake news have actually hurt authors because unintentionally. You know, they they tweak the algorithm again. So links outside of Facebook are, you know, deprioritized or links to your own website are deprioritized because they don't know if you're fake news or not. And you don't look legit because The New York Times has never linked to your personal author website. And what would have been fine five years ago now is getting, you know, pushed to the bottom or hidden because they're trying to fight fake news. And, you know, I, I don't blame them for trying to fight fake news. Right. People lying and causing trouble with democracies, you know there's issues with that. But the reality is as a marketing place, this is not where you want to be. This is really, trust me, not where you want to be. Okay. Reason number six, we're, we have three more reasons to go why Facebook is overrated. Uh, and I'll, I'll go through these quickly. Uh, bubbles. Uh, so people live in bubbles and Facebook's edge rank accentuates this. So if you're a 50-year-old middle-class white woman, chances are mostly other people you see are going to be most of those characteristics so maybe they're 50 year old middle class white men or you know you drop one or two but you're never going to drop all of them you're never going to be seeing somebody completely different from you showing up on your feed even if you're friends with him in real life um and and also that's so that's demographics but there's also polit- political polarization there's uh on facebook there's very clearly like three major factions there's the red team the blue team and they please don't talk to me about politics team <laughs> so um and would depending on what faction you're in, you're going to be seeing other posts from other people in your faction most of the time. And because of these bubbles, Facebook isn't as good as it used to be for getting things to spread. It used to be back when I, you know, years ago, content could spread around Facebook from bubble to bubble and from person to person. But as the algorithm has evolved, it has, you know, Form these bubbles that used to be made of permeable membranes are now made out of concrete. <laughs> it's really hard to see something from outside of your bubble. Uh, and it's really unfortunate. Um, another uh, challenge with Facebook is the demographic changes, this is number seven, it's demographic changes. So Facebook's getting grayer. And, and I'm putting this later because it's not necessarily bad. If you're writing your book for retirees, this isn't hurting you because there's a lot of retirees on Facebook. But if you're targeting a younger audience, Facebook, maybe no. So like my wife doesn't really do Facebook anymore. She'll show up. She drops off photos of her, of our beautiful baby. And, and then she leaves and spends her time on some other social network. And she's on several other social networks that she spends far more time on than she does on Facebook.
0: Interesting because my kids, my two sons who are 26 and 23 now, they were on Facebook before I was, and they've gravitated away from it before I have, and so they're going to the other social platforms. And this is not this is anecdotal. We're talking about Margaret. We're talking about my sons, but it's happening not just anecdotally. It is happening. If you look at the statistics, they're going to other platforms like Instagram. Um, but but they are definitely going
1: away. That's right. And by young, we're talking twenties and thirties, like the really young people in their teens, never are were on Facebook often. Uh, they're just opting out of Facebook altogether, which really makes me feel old because in my mind, Facebook has always been for the cool college kids. (laughs) and (laughs) um, That's not what it's for anymore. Uh, That's not the audience. And those cool college kids are now in their thirties and they have kids that are 10 years old now, you know, some of them, and it's just the the world has changed. I'm I'm getting older. I'm I'm feeling my own mortality. Um, So, Reason number eight is uh, what publishers want. Jim, tell us a little bit about this.
0: Well, if you want to go traditional publishing, and a lot of you listening do want to get traditionally published, you need to be aware that publishers aren't impressed by huge Facebook numbers any longer. I mean, they used to be. That's one of the things they used to look at. But the savvy publishers that, that are up on trends, they realize exactly what we're talking about here. Now, the great Facebook numbers are not going to do anything to move their traditional books. The, uh, so what do they want? What are they after? Well, they're off. They're after huge email lists. So a lot of times now a publisher will say, gosh, Thomas, that's a great book. Um, how many people do you have on your email list? And then the other thing they're looking for is a great idea and great writing. And it always comes back to great, great writing. In fact, publishers nowadays are saying, especially for fiction, they're saying, yeah, a platform is important. But it's not as important as the great writing. And this is fairly recent because, you know, five years ago, fiction publishers were saying, how big is the platform? How big is Facebook? That's what's really important. And they're realizing in the end, it always comes down to a great, great idea and that executed with great, great writing.
1: Especially for fiction. This is really
0: key. And I will say not all publishers
1: are savvy. You may be surprised um, publishers lack of sophistication. Uh, sometimes the publishers marketing departments run by like graphic designers, kind of people who came up through that track and they are not measuring. They're not looking at data. They're waiting for podcasts like ours or blog posts to come out that kind of talk about the data, but they're not doing their own research. And and those publishers tend to be a year or two behind.
0: Or even, or even three or four years behind. So they're still going after the things that were uh, trendy and and right actually correct 3 to 5 years ago and so you just need to be aware of that that's right but again
1: who do you want to be published by a savvy publisher or a not savvy publisher uh, now i will say one way that publishers sometimes will look at facebook and social media instagram and the others is an indication that you have an audience that is resonating with your message so if you're really popular on facebook it may indicate that you've got the juice And there are people and they're excited about you. And while you won't be able to reach those people through Facebook to buy your book, the fact that people are excited about you and are connecting with you means that you'd probably be able to reach them some other way. Um, and so there is that element of it where they're looking at it not as a you can sell through Facebook, but as proof that you've got that X factor that publishers are always looking for. It's like, oh wow, so and so really has got got that groove, of what I would call resonance. They're resonating with an audience, and the audience is resonating with you. But you can't fake that. <laughs> um, that's getting when people are spending time on Facebook trying to build their platform, they're trying to fake it, and they're they're getting it backwards, right? The The horse is you resonating and having a message that resonates in the cart is all of those followers. It's not the other way around. All right. So why do authors still use Facebook? This is really key. I want to talk about this because there's a lot of authors spend a lot of time on Facebook. When I look at book proposals, which I'm getting lots of book proposals, the number of Facebook fans is always listed. Often it's the very first thing on the list of like, look, I have a platform. I have, you know, 5,000 people who are following me on Facebook. Remember, I'm doing the math. I'm like, oh, 5,000 people, two books. Uh, So why are authors still using Facebook? One, it used to work. Back in 2010, these strategies actually worked. When you posted on Facebook, your fans saw what you posted. You post a link to Amazon, people would go and follow that link. And you could really sell books. Although I will say, even back in 2012, when Michael Hyatt's book platform came out, um, Facebook was already cresting at zenith and Hyatt, to his credit, only devoted two pages of his book to Facebook. That whole rest of the book on building a platform was not about building a platform on Facebook because even back then, it was hard to make a case from the numbers that Facebook was a good place for a platform. And the second reason why people... Uh, spend time on facebook still and i think this is probably the biggest reason is that it's affirmational (laughs) the reason authors write some of them anyway is that they need psychological affirmation and acknowledgement they're looking for those likes because they make them feel better they make them feel validated in the moment but here's the sad part it rings hollow in the end there are studies that show that Facebook makes people sad. And they these new studies come out every year. I was just hearing on the news a few weeks ago about a brand new study with like control groups where they had one group spend time on Facebook and one group not. And the group that spent time on Facebook was sadder at the end. <laughs> it made them sad and depressed. Uh, and so if you're sad and depressed and you're spending time on Facebook, maybe spend less time on Facebook uh, because it's not true affirmation. Those likes don't mean anything and deep down i think we all know that and so while it's affirmational it's affirmational in the worst ways Uh, and then the third reason why authors still use Facebook or still try to build their platform on Facebook is because it's easy. Uh, Compared to building a website or blogging or public speaking or really anything like talking to somebody one-on-one about your book, Facebook feels easy. But here's the problem with the easy road. There are a million authors on that easy road (laughs) walking the path to mediocrity. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) Uh, The road to success (laughs) is walking the hard path and often walking the untrod path it as a novel marketing listener you have access to the stuff that works that's what we talk about every week we have a new episode like we just did two episodes about creating reading group resources and how to get reading groups excited about your book is that work yeah it's work is it harder than posting an image on facebook yeah it's 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 gonna be harder is it gonna actually help you sell more books Yes, it will. (laughs) Like, It is an actual technique that actually works. And it's something that you can put into practice if you're fiction, if you're nonfiction, and if you haven't listened to episodes 164 and 165 of the Novel Marketing Podcast. I really encourage you, go back, listen to them, put them into practice. It really is going to help. And if you're like, I don't have time, just delete Facebook off your phone. You'll find that you find the time. Uh, And now, since I have a baby, a brand new baby, I've been spending more time on Facebook because... My grandparents, it turns out, have an unlimited desire for baby photos. In fact, I've been texting them because they will take as much as we will send them. And, um, but I've turned off notifications so I never get that little red number I never get notified if somebody tags me in something um, My the Facebook app on my phone is completely silent so it never interrupts me because that's the other toxic thing about Facebook is that it's interrupting you constantly with your social status and like oh so and so has affirmed you in this very hollow and meaningless way
0: so if you're weaning yourself off of uh, Facebook do it slowly don't quit all at once just block notifications that will be a big step in the right direction
1: because we all know those people who uh, quit Facebook and then come back and quit Facebook and come back. Uh, that's, that's not the way to do it. And I'm not saying to delete your account. Uh, in fact, in the next episode, we're going to talk about ways that do work currently and the end of 2018, beginning of 2019 of, of things authors are doing that are useful on Facebook. So just because Facebook is overrated and just because Facebook is mostly useless does not mean that it is 100 percent useless. There are still things you can do, still things that work. And we'll be talking
0: about those. and things that can sell books. So next episode, you definitely want to tune in for that.
1: That's right. So quick recap. Uh, you, Why do you want to avoid Facebook? Because you don't want to become a peasant farmer. It reaches people uh, in the wrong state of mind. It hides your content from 96% of your fans. Only 1% of those will convert. Uh, you could be doing something more valuable with your time. You're competing with the multi-million dollar shadow organizations that will outspend you and out-optimize you. It uh, reaches people in bubbles so c- content doesn't spread. Uh, the demographics are changing and it's not what savvy publishers are looking for anymore. So your honor, I rest my case, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we would love to hear from you. We will post this on our private face book group page, and we'd love to hear your reaction to it and, and thoughts on it. Definitely.
1: All right. This episode of the novel marketing podcast is brought to you by the five year plan to become a best selling author. We've had a lot of people, um, uh, picking up this course in the last few weeks um, because they know the price is about to double. So right now the price is $99 for the five-year plan. The price is about to go up to $199 in the new year. So if you would like to grab the five-year plan, which is a step-by-step guide uh, for helping you become a best-selling Writer. And we take you through your whole career from the craft to the getting an agent to getting a publisher to getting published and becoming having a successful launch and becoming a best selling author. It's a very robust plan that's that holding your hand as you develop your career. Uh, the co- price about to go up, but it has not yet gone up. So you can check it out now at novelmarketing.com
0: forward slash courses. And Thomas, we just gave people the time to be able to go through the course, <laughs> did we not? There you go. If you're one of the people who are spending an hour
1: a month on or sorry, an hour a week on Facebook, that is plenty of time to go through this course uh, and do all of the reading.
0: Uh, Not hour a week, not hour a week, hour hour a day. If you're spending an hour a day. On, on Facebook, oh my gosh, you could do this course. And and, and and again, this course is guaranteed. We guarantee you will become a best-selling author. So the risk is zero. That's right. And I should explain the guarantees. There's a
1: 30-day whatever reason guarantee. You check it out and you realize it's more than you want or not what you thought it, thought it was, send us an email, we'll refund you. The five-year guarantee is you have to actually do everything the course recommends. <laughs> it's not, if buying the course, we, we should be very clear, buying this course is not going to make you a best-selling author. Doing the hard, hard work that we recommend in the course is You're going to be reading a lot of books You're going to be writing a lot of books You're going to be writing a lot of short stories uh, And I will say it is uh, this course is primarily for um, novelists. I think we have some nonfiction people going through it, but we didn't really tailor it for nonfiction. Uh, we tailored it for, for novelists. And uh, But I've gotten incredible feedback. People are moving forward in their careers like they never thought they could because they have that roadmap. So I do encourage you to check it out, novelmarketing.com slash courses.
0: And you have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstad Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening.